Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 16, and you'll find out why I'm wearing an Easter shirt. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm joking. <clears throat> you never know with me, do you? <laughs> Let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we just bring the scriptures before you, Father, because they are yours. Uh, you're the one that gave them to us, Father, and you're the one that has preserved them down through the ages, Father, to put them in our laps today, Lord, in the day and age we live in, Father, in this, in this so-called, quote-unquote, age of reason and understanding and enlightenment, Father, and we find ourselves in as much darkness as we've been in 2,000 years, Lord. And, uh, we have your word, Father, and the Bible says that it's a light uh, unto our feet, Lord, and unto our path. We ask, Father God, that you would be that for us this morning, Father. We pray that you would instruct us in it. We pray that you would have your way in us, Lord, as we study it together. We pray, Lord, that you would be showing each person what it is in their lives, Father, that needs to move or change or be transformed, Lord, or what they need to do that they haven't done before. Whatever the case may be, Father, I could never possibly even begin to fathom the hearts and the minds of everybody who's here and who's listening online, uh, Father. But you know every single person, Lord, who's listening right now live. We, You know every single person who's going to listen to this on replay and and every heart, certainly, that's here today, Father, in person, we ask that you would have free reign in us, Lord, to speak uh, and to move us, Lord, to mold us and make us as you see fit, because you are the potter, we're the clay. Help us to have faith in you and put our trust in you, Lord, and to allow you to do whatever it is that you need to do in our lives, Lord, knowing that uh, the thoughts that you have for us, Lord, are always for our benefit, to draw us closer to you in Christ Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. So, Deuteronomy chapter 16, we are going to go over some of the feasts. Um, I'm going to cover the, the Passover and the Feast of Weeks. Dad's going to pick up in the second service in verse 13, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. But uh, I was getting into this this week, and I, I, I just I kind of got transfixed and mesmerized. And, and so this is, this is going to be more of a lesson than it is a, a preaching sermon this morning, I think. <laughs> the problem is, is I'm, no, I'm really no teacher, so uh, hopefully the Lord, will, the Lord will bless this to your hearts and your, and your understanding, um, but I, I just was so blessed by, by this, this portion of scripture this week, and I, and I wanted to try to pass that on to you as much as I could. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 16 begins like this, observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover to the Lord your God, for in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. Therefore, you shall sacrifice the Passover to the Lord your God from the flock and the herd in the place where the Lord chooses to put his name. You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with it. That is the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that you may remember the day in which you came out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. And no leaven shall be seen among you in all your territory for seven days. Nor shall any of the meat which you sacrifice the first day at twilight remain overnight until morning. You may not sacrifice the Passover within any of your gates which the Lord your God gives you, but at the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. There you shall sacrifice the Passover at twilight, at the going down of the sun, at the time you came out of Egypt." And you shall roast and eat it in the place which the Lord your God chooses. And in the morning you shall turn and go to your tents. 
Six days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day they sh there shall be a sacred assembly to the Lord your God, and you shall do no work on it. You shall count seven weeks for yourself. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the grain. Then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a freewill offering from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite who is within your gates, the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are among you at the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. And you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. Now, in chapter 16 of Deuteronomy, Moses is taking the children of Israel, of course, this is the second generation. Again, we'd like to recap over and over and over again so we get this fixed in our mind. This is the second generation, generation of Israelites who've come out of the land of Egypt. The first, the first group of people that came out of Egypt, of course, were brought through the Red Sea to Mount Sinai and then through the wilderness to the Promised Land, which we are told in Scripture is an 11-day journey. But they get, just before they get to the promised land, they come to Kadesh Barnea, and that's where the spies are sent out from, who come back, two with, of course, with a good report, and the ten with a bad report. There's giants in the land. We're going to get squashed in there. We're grasshoppers in our own eyes, and all of these things. And the people lose heart, and they lose faith because they lose heart. And that's something that's a, a very important lesson for all of us to remember. It is easy for us to lose faith when we lose heart. Our hope is in the return of our, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, correct? It is not in, in, in things in this country or in this world getting straightened out. It, it's, it's not in this world. If you're looking for hope in this world, Jesus said if it was for, uh, or the word, the word of God says, if it was only for this life we had hope in Christ, we would be above all men the most pitiable. Why? Because the first century church was suffering for the gospel. They weren't living in opulent luxury. They weren't going around preaching health and wealth. They were pre preaching chains, and they were preaching affliction, and they were preaching come to Jesus Christ because he's not chosen you to make you free from the bondage of the things of this world physically. He's uh, bought you with a price of his own blood and set you free from the bondage and the chains of sin and death, which have held you for your entire life. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not some sort of life enhancement gospel. So when God blesses us, when God gives us good things, and look around, right? He has. We praise him and we rejoice in him for that. But if affliction comes or if tribulation comes, not only should we not lose heart and not only should we not lose faith, we should press into Jesus Christ all the more. That's the way it's supposed to work. We're not supposed to lose heart. We're not supposed to lose faith. And God says, I want you to remember that you were a slave in Egypt. I want you to remember those things. Don't just completely forget it. It's easy for us to forget where we came from. It's easy for us to forget that God rescued us and brought us out of Egypt spiritually for a reason. So observe the month of Abib, chapter 16, uh, Chapter 16 begins, observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. So 
The month of Abib is in accordance with what is called, or has been called, the Creator's calendar. It coincides with the lunar cycle and seasons and is the calendar that was used by Israel up until the Babylonian captivity. Now, it's, it's, an, it's a very interesting calendar. God instructs Moses to make Abib the first of the year based on, though, the new moon and the Passover. Now, for those of you who don't know, I really had never really thought about it. New moon, Sabbath, we say it all the time. But the new moon is the crescent moon. The moon comes to its fullness, and then it goes back to being, you know, when it looks like a toenail, you know what I mean, or a fingernail, just a sliver. That's the new moon, okay? That's the new moon. And so there aren't any names of the months. There weren't any names of the months in the calendar that they used. And Abib isn't the name of a month. Instead, they were numbered first month, second month, third month, etc. The names that we are given in this calendar correspond with seasons and not months. For example, Abib covers from basically mid-March to mid-April when the grain had reached its full size, though not yet was not yet completely ripe. Abib means green ears. That's what Abib means, green ears, green ears of grain. The new moon phase, or the crescent moon, closest to this time of year was the beginning of the calendar year. That was the beginning of Abib for Israel. And by doing this, going by the moon to start the year, rather than just doing it the same time every year like we do with our calendars, by doing this, the calendar automatically corrected itself from being 11 days short uh, due to the lunar cycle being 11 days shorter than the solar calendar. That's what we go by. The Gregorian calendar, Gregorian calendar, which coincides with the, so, the solar cycle. So for us, it's the month of April. April. That's when Passover happens. That's in the month of April. It was in Abib. Now, the Jewish calendar changed during the Babylonian captivity, taking into account the seasons and both the solar and lunar cycles, along with a whole bunch of other interesting math that was done. It's really quite ingenious. I couldn't understand most of it. Uh, that's what happened, okay? Uh, and each month was given the Jewish equivalent of their Babylonian names. And on this calendar, this month became the month of Nisan, okay? And that's what it's called, the Jewish calendar. It's called to this day. It's the month of Nisan. So by the time we get to Jesus Christ, Abib is Nisan. Does that make any sense at all? Okay, good. Hopefully it does. You can rewind it and go back and be confused all over again. So when God says, observe the month of Abib, remember, this is a time of season. This is a calling of a time of season, and it was to be adjusted. The Passover wasn't the same day every year, right? It was adjusted for the lunar cycle. Now, uh, God's instructions here in chapter 16 is why many scholars believe that since they left Kadesh Barnea, when they had rejected God's promise, when they had refused to go into the promised land, and God says, fine, you're not going to go in the promised land. You're going to wander in the wilderness for, for 40 years. And I had started to talk about that and lost my train of thought. And now here it comes back. You, you see how that happened? And now here it comes back. They had come to the, to, the, to the place of entering into the promised land, that first generation. And God had said, go in and possess it. And they chose to not believe because of the hardships that they thought. They lost heart and therefore they lost faith. That's where I was. And so they wandered for 40 years until God said, every single one of your carcasses, and, and when God starts calling your body your carcass, you're in trouble, right? 
till your carcasses drop in the desert, your children are going to enter in. So now here's this next generation of Israelites, and they're about to enter into the promised land, and God is giving them through Moses these instructions, specific instructions, most of which are a reiteration. Deuteronomy means second law, most of which are a reiteration of the law that had already been given to that first generation. Are you still not confused yet? All right, we'll keep going. Um, and so here they are, and God is, is, is going over these, these holidays. Now, of course, these aren't all of the feasts, but these are three major feasts here that God is going over with the children of Israel because these are of utmost importance. Of course, Passover being probably the most important of all of them. But scholars, most scholars believe, or many scholars believe, that when they left Kadesh Barnea, they had not celebrated a, a, a Passover. We don't know this 100%, okay? This is free information. You study it and come up with whatever you think. But in, in chapter 16, the way God is re-giving re these instructions, scholars believe that maybe they had not celebrated Passover since the time they had left Kadesh Barnea and gone out into the wilderness. And it reminds me of Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 26 and 27, that says, For if we sin willfully... After we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour uh, the adversaries. And of course, what Hebrews is talking about, the writer of Hebrews is talking about, is someone who receives the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, it's, I know how you people are. You're guilt-ridden, and I don't want you to be guilt-ridden. You were bought with a price, the blood of Jesus Christ. You were set free from the chains and bondage of sin and death. And if you're set free in Christ, you are free indeed. And there is thou, therefore now, the Bible says, no condemnation for those of us who are in Jesus Christ. Now, Peter says, go make every opportunity and every effort in your life to make your calling and your election sure. And that, that word sure doesn't mean make sure you're saved. Make sure, are you really saved? I woke up this morning. I don't know if I'm still saved. What Peter's talking about is making it sure the way you would make a bridge over, 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 over uh, rapids sure, right? You want that bridge to hold. You want that bridge to be secure. You want that bridge to be solid and steady so you don't even have to think about it. Peter says, do that with your faith. Uh, what he's talking about here is somebody who has received the gospel, and there's people who've been around the gospel. There's people, you guys know, there's people who sit in church every single week all over the country and all over different parts of the world and never are born again. Coming to church, Keith Green said this, one of our favorite artists from the 70s, hippie guy, you know. He said that being, uh, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger, Right? And it's absolutely 100% true. We're not taking attendance here. We're not here to find out who's good and who's bad and who did, you know, all, checked all the boxes and stuff like that. We are a new creation in Jesus Christ. For those who have heard the gospel message, Jesus came, he died on the cross for your sins. On the third day, he rose from the grave. He ascended to the Father and lives ever, forever, therefore, at that place at the right hand of the Father to make intercession on your behalf. He's your advocate. He's your attorney. Whenever the accuser who accuses the brethren before the throne of God, the word says day and night, comes before that throne to make an accusation against you, your advocate, who is Jesus Christ, clears his throat and says, hey, dad. You know, when, when the dad is your, the judge is your dad, right? Boom, you got it in like that. Hey, dad, bought and paid for. Get thee behind me, Satan. There is no condemnation for you if you're born again. And that's the key. If 
You're born again. What does it mean to be born again? This is spiritual rebirth. The old is gone. When we baptize someone, the symbolism there is death. Baptisms, aren't they fun? (laughs) It's a funeral. It's supposed to be a funeral. I remember watching this video, and there's a website called Wretched. And somebody was showing, <laughs> it's really uplifting, I swear. And, 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 and I was, somebody was showing me this video on Wretched, and it was a baptism party. And it was like a Sweet 16 party, and they had the DJ, and ba 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 and fancy clothes, and all this stuff. And then it's flipped over to a baptism in Russia, where they're breaking the ice with these staves to open up a spot where they could baptize a new believer in the freezing water. It's a rebirth. It's not some game. It's not some club we belong to. The old is gone. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, not me, but Christ who lives through me. That's what it means to be born again. My life is not my own. Part of the human condition, for even for us Christians, is a continual, nonstop exercise in taking our life back from God and then giving it back to Him again, isn't it? We take our lives back, we start to do things our way, we start to make it all about us and what's going on in our lives, and then we remember, oops, not mine, and we give it back. And every single time, make no mistake, you're a son, you're a daughter of the Most High God every single time. He's never surprised. He's never surprised or shocked. Well, I'm shocked. Never. He knows you. He knows every single thing about you, every thought you've ever had. Now, you've heard me say this before. I heard a preacher once say you've got two testimonies, the one you tell people and then your real testimony because you've got things in your life and you've got things in your heart and you've got things in your thought life and maybe things you've done that you would never tell anyone about. God knows it intimately and says, I love you anyways. And I chose you anyways. And I've washed you and I've cleansed you anyways. You're mine. You have no right to hold on to that guilt. You have no right to hold on to condemnation. It's not yours to hold. It was nailed to the cross. We are free indeed. Only don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. Keep your eyes focused and fixed, as Paul said, on the prize set before you in the upward calling that you have through Jesus Christ. Don't lose heart. Don't lose faith. Uh, So, the Passover, chapter 16. Observe the month of Abib. Okay, we cover that. Keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. And in Exodus chapter 12, that's where God tells Moses this is to be the beginning of your year. Therefore, you shall sacrifice the Passover to the Lord your God from the flock and the herd in the place where the Lord chooses to put his name. Very important. Very important. You don't just offer up this sacrifice anyways. Pastor, I can worship God anywhere. I can do it anywhere. I never come to church. I've been to church in 12 years, and I don't need to come. Now, we live in the age of grace, and absolutely church is not a requirement for you. It's necessary for you. It's necessary for you in the same way the, an oasis is necessary for someone lost in the desert. That's what church is for you. That is what God has provided for you. It's the symbolism of that day of rest. That one in seven where you choose to set everything aside and rest yourselves and focus on the blessings that God has blessed you with. 
It is not some sort of a requirement that you you'd go to church to check a box. It is for you. It is absolutely for you. Our worship of God is to be done in the way he prescribed. When God says, I don't want you to forsake the gathering of yourselves together. Now listen, extenuating circumstances, huh, COVID-19. And I don't think that anybody, I don't condemn anybody, people who are listening online right now, because they don't want to get COVID. I, I don't have any condemnation for any of those people. God knows your heart. And, and furthermore, if you're sitting home, hello, good morning, if you're sitting home this morning and you're watching this message or watching it after the fact because you want to go, didn't want to go out thanks to go, thank you, that's effort. That's someone saying, this is an important thing in my life. Okay, we're not splitting hairs here. God knows the heart. Okay, so I want you to understand that. I will never, ever, ever, ever have in this, in this fellowship, okay, we never want there to be some sort of, I have to go to church or I'm not a Christian. Or they're going to think less of me there if I don't attend every service. Please don't ever misunderstand what I'm saying. The things that God has given us, though, and the ways that God has prescribed in which we ought to worship, those are the ways we got to worship. And so he told the children of Israel, because he knows how people are. By the time Jesus comes on the scene, they weren't, they weren't even observing Passover in the prescribed way. Families were, off, were, were, were killing the lamb, slaughtering the lamb, and doing their own Passover meal. They weren't offering them at the temple. Now, a lot of that was logistics from their mindset and their standpoint. I read it, something like 18,000 lambs were sacrificed at the temple, but that wasn't near enough. So people had began to do it themselves at their home. You say, well, you don't understand, God. It was impossible. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God. It's impossible, God. Duh. God says, this is what I want you to do. Here's the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, guys. Do your best and forget the rest. I think that's like a P90X. Tony, I might get sued for that. Do your best and forget the rest. I love that. I used to love that. And I'd be crying, doing the workout. <laughs> you know, forget the rest. You know what I mean? I didn't really eat a bagel this morning with chive cream cheese and bacon. Just think of it. Do your best. I love that about our faith. Do the best that you can. But here's where you offer the sacrifice of Passover, God says. In the place I put my name, in the place where I have prescribed it. <clears throat> the lamb was, was to be sacrificed wherever the tabernacle was, and later, the temple. The initial tabernacle location when they entered into the promised land was Gilgal, then it was Bethel, then it was Shiloh, and then finally, Jerusalem, where Solomon built the temple. Okay, David, of course, had gathered all of the articles, many of the articles to build the temple. He wanted to build that temple for the Most High God, but God said, sorry, David, you're a man of blood. You can't build it, but your son will, and Solomon did. And those are the places that God wanted the Passover sacrifice to be made. Verses 3 and 4, you shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with it. That is the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that you may remember the day in which you came out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. And no leaven shall be seen among you in all your territory for seven days, nor shall any of the meat which you sacrificed the first day at twilight remain overnight until morning. So first, the unleavened bread. Unleavened bread is a picture of, it signifies for us, the removal of sin. That you didn't just walk around, hey, look, unleavened bread. Nobody willingly cooks unleavened bread. You know what I mean? They eat regular bread with leaven in it. And in case you don't know, leaven is what makes it rise. Leaven is what turns 
regular bread into yum-yum bread. You know what I'm saying? So when you go to Wegmans and you, you say, you get, let's say, just for the sake of argument, a roast beef sub with lettuce, tomatoes, onions, hot pepper, relish, provolone cheese, extra Russian dressing. For the sake of argument, that's what you get. It's on yum-yum bread. It's on yum-yum bread. Give me that between two matzah crackers, please. Never! You would never do this. This is a horrible idea. Okay? Leaven, two things. It causes the dough to rise. It causes it to... You know, that's that when you, you ever, anybody cook bread in this place? Anybody have a bread maker? And you go, oh, that smell, that smell, smother it in butter, peanut butter. It's the greatest smell. Leaven makes it yum yum. You know what else leaven does? It makes it rot. That's why I have matzo crackers in a box from 16 years ago. And they're the same. They taste the same. They look the same. Help me, okay? And the bread, the yummy bread that I love, that I adore, that I delight my soul in, right? The smelling, the, it doesn't last very long. I pulled out bags of bread out of my cupboard, and it was, just, it was just green fur inside. There was nothing left, just green fur. And I said to my wife, what is this? She's like, it's barley grass. You should drink it, you know. It, that's what it does. That's what the, the leaven does. And so leaven for us is a picture of sin. Let's be honest, folks. You wouldn't sin if it wasn't fun. Hello, right? Let me be honest about it. I don't even desire to sin anymore. Oh, good for you. I'm over here like, whoa, you know, because it, 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 it appeals to every aspect of my flesh. Every aspect of it, it appeals to. And Satan comes along as that angel of light, and what he does is he takes that thing appealing to your flesh, and he makes it into a good thing, a thing of freedom, something that you're being held back from. He doesn't tell you about the destruction that's going to wreak in your life and the havoc that's going to wreak in your life. And so the removal of leaven is a picture of that sin being removed from our lives in two ways. First, by the sacrifice. The sin is removed by the sacrifice. And the second thing is the sin is removed by the choices that we make. I hope that this year I sinned less than I did last year. And I hope it's the same every year moving forward as God is seeking to conform me into the image and likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting because the scripture teaches us that we're made perfect and we're made like him through suffering, through trials, through tribulations. We don't have many of those. Relatively speaking, folks, okay, read a history book. Hello, it's pretty okay. COVID-19 you know what I'm saying? In the 1300s, they'd have been putting it in their tea. COVID, <laughs> you know what I mean? We have it so good, I'm not making light of it. I know, it's, I know it's, it's, it's killing people. I'm trying to make a point here. We live in a time, and we live in a place, we have it so easy. You know what I'm saying? I joke about this all the time. I, I fall out of the spirit because my internet goes down, right? Or I can't get the game on TV, or whatever the case may be, and I'm over there, try not to lose it. And every single one of those times, I believe this with all my heart, that every single thing, whatever it is for you, because you got your own thing, right? And nobody understands why. You're an insane person. But for whatever reason, that thing that happens in your life, it makes you lose your mind. And every single time that happens, that is an opportunity for you to stop and go, Lord, renew me. Lord, help me with my flesh and renew me. It's a beautiful thing. Leaven, get that leaven out of here. Uh, verse 4, none of the lamb 
Okay, no leaven shall be seen among you in our territory seven days, nor shall any of the meat which you sacrifice the first day at twilight remain overnight until morning. We have more instruction about that in Exodus and Leviticus. The lamb was to be completely consumed. And any part of the lamb that wasn't consumed was not to be left till morning. It was to be burned with fire. There was to be none of it, no leftovers, okay, for Passover. Remember, you know, nothing like Thanksgiving. You know what I mean? Thanksgiving. You're eating turkey sandwiches for 16 months after Thanksgiving, right? Passover, you eat the lamb at twilight that night. You eat that lamb, and none of it remains till morning. Any part of it left over was to be completely consumed. And this, of course, is symbolic of Christ's sacrifice being once and being complete with no more sacrifices required or repeated. That's it. That's all. One time for all time from the beginning to the end. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ is all anyone ever needs for salvation. Jesus Christ, when he was put into the tomb, the Bible teaches us that he descended into the lower parts of the earth and he preached the gospel to those who, are in, who were in darkness, those who were in Hades. And we've talked about this a little bit before, that before Jesus Christ came, even the most righteous, even the most pious, even the most religious could not enter into the presence of God because of sin. The Bible teaches us that the blood of rams and goats and sheep and turtle doves could never actually really cleanse you of sin. It was an act of mercy that God allowed to show grace and favor upon you. But it could never really cleanse a person from sin. Everybody who died before Jesus Christ came went to hell. You say, what? Well, Jesus teaches us through the story of the rich man and Lazarus that in hell or Hades, there were two compartments, that for the righteous dead and that for the unrighteous dead. And every single one went down there. There was a place of torment and there was a place of rest called Abraham's bosom. Jesus Christ descended in the lower parts of the earth, opened those gates to those who were in Abraham's bosom, preached the gospel. I wonder how long a message that was. It's me, you know. And said he led, led captivity captive and brought them to heaven. So from that day forward, and when Jesus Christ rose from the grave, being the first fruits, we're going to get into that, from, then, from that point forward, everybody who dies in Jesus Christ is to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord. That's why we can sing songs like, when I, when I die, don't cry for me. In my Father's arms I'll be. It don't matter where you bury me. It don't matter where I lay. I'm going to be home. I'm going to be free. I mean, hopefully, I want you to, to weep and wail and gnash your teeth and tear your robes when I die, you know what I mean? So I know I was loved, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm joking. I hope you have a party. I hope you ride dirt bikes and eat chicken wings at my funeral. I'm serious. You think I'm joking. That's what I, it should be a celebration of life. And don't feel bad for me, feel bad for you because you're still here. How much do we believe that? You know, Pastor Chuck, my, one of my all-time, you know, Pastor Chuck, what do you say? Pastor Chuck, one Sunday morning, preached about death, not being afraid of death. If anyone's listening to this, don't do, please, please don't test me on this. And he goes home and he's having Sunday dinner and there's a knock at the door. And he opens up and a guy says, I need to talk to you. Pastor Chuck walks outside of his house and the guy pulls out a 45, get in the car. And Pastor Chuck goes, okay. And they go and get in the car and he points a 45 at him. He says, you said today you were not afraid to die. Do you mean that? And Pastor Chuck looked at him and goes, yeah. 
And I can't remember the rest of the story if the guy got saved or not. But I remember thinking, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where the rubber meets the road. It's all fine and dandy, and we love God, and we believe in God, and we serve God, and we kneel God before God, and, we, and I can Philippians 4.13 and tattooed on our arms and our necks and our heads and everything else. And then as soon as things start to go hard for us, as soon as things start to go bad, where's God? And we freak out. That's not what we've been instructed to do. That's not what we've been taught to do. Have faith. Jesus Christ's sacrifice was enough, and it was for all time. The Feast of Weeks. Um, let's see. Let me, let, me, let me just continue. No leaven shall be seen. Verse 5, you may not sacrifice Passover within your gates. We talked about that. But at the place the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide, there you shall sacrifice the Passover at twilight, at the going down of the sun, at the time you came out of Egypt. And you shall roast it and eat it in the place where the Lord your God chooses. And in the morning you shall turn and go to your tents. Six days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a sacred assembly to the Lord your God. You shall do no work on it. Now, David, can you hit the logo button? Is that, if anyone's back in the sound room, hit the logo button, and it'll put up my little chart. And hopefully you guys will be able to see it if you got your glasses on. So the Leviticus 23 is a more detailed, uh, if you want to go back and read, Leviticus chapter 20, 23, it's a much more detailed account of the feast. But I want to go over the time period uh, of Passover that we're talking about now through the Feast of Weeks uh, from the Last Supper to Jesus' resurrection and, in, and, and put that in conjunction with these feasts. So remember, first of all, before we go into this, and this is where I'm going to finish up with this, guys, but remember... Before we go into this, the Jewish day ends at sundown, right? Not at sunrise, it begins at sundown. The Jewish day begins at sundown, okay? That's when the days change. So, Abib, the month of Abib, Passover month. Fast forward to the time of Jesus Christ, it is now the month of Nisan, okay? It's the month of Nisan. On Tuesday, the 13th of Nisan, Roman money was converted into temple money, and the lambs for Passover were purchased, Arrangements were made for families or groups to gather together for the Passover meal, and the final gathering, there was a final gathering of leaven from their houses, that they would go through and see if there was any leaven that they had missed, and it would be gathered together. Wednesday, the 14th of Nisan, was preparation day. Preparation for what? Preparation for pastor, pastor. Preparation for Passover, and preparation for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. At the beginning of this day, which again was the evening, there was a final hunt to find any leaven that may still be in the house. And then that next morning, which was still preparation day, okay, following me? Uh, all of the leaven would then be burned. Then at 3 p.m., the Passover lamb sacrifices began in the temple. Still preparation day. At 3 p.m., the Passover lamb sacrifices began in the temple. Now, <clears throat> uh, on the first, I want you to, we're going to, if you can turn if you want, Matthew chapter 26, verses 17 and 20. Now, on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which, was, which would have been Tuesday, the 13th of Nisan, and there's, there, that's a whole other study we're not going to get into as to the timeline and what Matthew referred to as the Feast of Unleavened Bread because the Feast of Unleavened Bread really didn't start until after Passover, until Passover. And this is before that. And Matthew called it the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So there's a lot of questions around there. You can do some research and study that on your own. But for our purposes, Tuesday the 13th of Nisan, uh, the disciples came to Jesus saying to him, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And when evening had come, 
which would have been Wednesday, the 14th of Nisan, and the beginning of Preparation Day. Are you following me still? Okay. <clears throat> he sat down with the 12. That's Matthew chapter 26, verses 17 to 20. Now, this is the beginning of Preparation Day. The preparation made for the Passover meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. Remember, he said, there's going to be a man carrying water, and they tell him the master needs use of a room, and he's going to show you to a place, and I want you to set it up and prepare it. That evening, when they sat down and celebrated not Passover the regular way anymore, but what we call communion, the Lord's Supper, right? That was the beginning of preparation day. That was the beginning of preparation day that evening when all of the kiddies and the people in their houses were going around on the final hunt to gather up all the leaven uh, from their houses. Now, fast forward, I want you, and this is, this is to, to come back, but I want you to fast forward to after the death of Jesus Christ, Luke chapter 23 Verses 53 and 54, it says this. Then he took it down, talking about the body of Jesus Christ. This is Joseph of Arimathea uh, and, and Nicodemus, of course. Wrapped it in linen and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. That day was the preparation and the Sabbath drew near. So that's how we get our times. We back up from that point because Jesus Christ, remember, they wanted him to be killed. Remember, the Pharisees went to the soldiers uh, and to Pontius Pilate and wanted them to go ahead and finish up the crucifixion and kill them all before sundown because that's when, that's when Passover began. And so they went to break everybody's legs because that's the only way on the cross you wouldn't be able to breathe. You would slowly asphyxiate to death. Your, your, your own body would be choking yourself to death. And you'd be asphyxiating and fluid is building up in your heart and in your lungs. And the only way that you could get a breath is to lift up on the nail through your feet to get a breath. And the pain was so excruciating that then you would, uh, and you would drop back down. And crucifixion lasts for hours. The longest one on record is something like two days. And so they said, we got to finish this up for before Passover, go through and break their legs. And of course, when they came to Jesus... He was already dead, and they were marveled that he was already dead, and so they put the, sword, or the spear rather through his side. Remember, and blood and water flowed out, and the prophet was fulfilled that said he was pierced for our transgressions. And the Bible also taught us in the, in the prophets that not a bone in his body would be broken. Interesting, isn't it? But we know from this point in time where Joseph takes the body and buries it that it was still preparation day, the day before Passover. And so that's how we back up to get to the dates leading up to the crucifixion. While all the Israelites were gathering the last of the leavened bread from their homes, Jesus had instituted the Lord's Supper. He had prayed in the garden, was arrested, and was being tried. While the Israelites were burning away all of the leaven that next morning, Jesus was being crucified. <clears throat> when the Passover lambs began to be slaughtered at about 3 p.m. on Passover, uh, but just before Passover, rather, um, Jesus Christ died. Hmm. The seven-day feast of unleavened bread begins at sunset, the 15th of Nisan, with the sharing of the Passover lamb. Jesus was buried on Wednesday, the evening of the 14th, just before Passover, and is in the grave uh, Passover, Thursday the 15th, by that evening, okay? He's in the grave Thursday the 15th, starting with that evening, when they're eating the lamb. Friday the 16th, and Saturday the 17th, which is the regular Sabbath. Now, you shall count seven weeks for yourself, beginning to count the seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the grain, and then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of freewill offering from your hand, which you shall give the Lord your God uh, as the Lord your God blesses you. 
the counting of seven weeks for yourself, begin to count the seven weeks from the time you began to put the sickle to the grain. That is called the feast of the first fruits. First fruits. And the feast of first fruits, what would happen is it was the very beginning of the actual harvest, okay? It was the very beginning of the actual harvest. When you put the sickle to the grain, that was the feast of first fruits. And then you would count forward seven weeks exactly from that point in time, which was the day after a Sabbath, and that would be the feast of weeks, which was a celebration of the ingathering of the harvest, the completion or the ingathering of the harvest. Sunday the 18th begins at sundown, and is the feast of first fruits, the celebration of the harvest by bringing to Yahweh the first fruit of the harvest. In the temple, the Sunday morning of the, first, uh, of the feast of first fruits, the priest would stand at the altar and wave a shock of grain before the Lord in thanksgiving for his provision, and a male lamb without blemish would be offered. On this particular Sunday morning, as the priest was making this wave offering before the Lord in the temple thanking Yahweh for the harvest, he was standing in front of a curtain that had been torn from top to bottom. And I don't know if they put some sort of a temporary provisional curtain over it to cover up the Holy of Holies or what they did, but that morning and that Feast of first fruits was like no other. It was Sunday morning. It was the day after Saturday, which was their Sabbath after the Passover. And the priest went in. As the people went out to begin the harvest, he would wave this, this shock of grain before the Lord, thanking him for the harvest. And it was called the Feast of first fruits. And on this particular Sunday... When he was waving that shock of grain, the women had arrived at the tomb to find it empty. Jesus would already, has already been raised the night before. That was something that I was, as I was looking at. When did Jesus rise from the grave? Sunday morning, we have our Easter morning services, right? He rose in the morning, he rose in the morning. The women got to the tomb early in the morning, the Bible says, and where was he? He was not there. He had already been risen, Okay. So he rose that evening before. At what point in time? We don't know. <clears throat> but now, 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 23, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ, all shall be made alive. Hallelujah. But each one in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, and afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Now I'm going to finish with this, because Dad's going to get into this, the Feast of Tabernacles. But leading up to the Feast of Weeks, seven weeks, 50 days after the first fruits, 50 days, seven weeks exactly after the first fruits was the Feast of Weeks, which is also called Pentecost. A final celebration of the gathering of the harvest. And on that, on exactly on that day, on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell on the twelve, and they went out speaking tongues, and Peter preached the first message he had ever preached, filled with the Holy Spirit, and 3,000 people from all over the world, believers all from all over the world, were brought into salvation through Jesus Christ. Unbelievable. Exactly to the day. Exactly to the day. I love that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, uh, Lord, and thank you so much for the fulfillment of, of Scripture, Lord, that we see through the life of Christ Jesus. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to uh, 
uh, take these things to heart, Father, and, and that it would give us heart and give us hope and uh, strengthen and, and, and renew our faith, Lord, and the belief that we have in who you are, that we, the faith that we have in you is not some blind faith believing in Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny, Lord, but it is well-founded and based upon historical truths, Lord, that we know. We're so thankful, Father, that not only that, but we have your Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, Lord, that testifies of the truth of your word, Father, and helps us to know unequivocally beyond the shadow of a doubt, Father, that you are who you say you are, and so is your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we believe in you, we believe in him, and we embrace your Holy Spirit, Father. Help us to be exactly who you want us to be in his name. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks, everybody.